0: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Marissa Aaron, physical therapist and founder of Mom and Me PT. If you're feeling overwhelmed during pregnancy or as a new mom, and you're tired of scrolling through countless blog articles and Facebook threads with contradicting answers, this podcast is for you. I'll be interviewing top professionals to help women maximize their baby's development, their pregnancy, and their postpartum recovery. All the answers in one place from sources you can trust. Get answers to all of your questions regarding your baby's developmental milestones, sleep training, breastfeeding, nutrition, speech development, and more. For you ladies, we'll be talking about pregnancy, labor and delivery, safely returning to exercise, common areas of pain, urinary leakage, sex, diastasis recti, and you guessed it, more. I hope you enjoy. Hello, so I am here with Christine McSween. She lives in Calgary,
1: Canada. Hi
0: Christine, thanks for joining us
1: today. Hi Marissa, thanks for having me.
0: So will you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Yeah, so I grew up here in Alberta. Um, I kind of took a different path into physiotherapy. I did like my first degree was in religious studies and economics um, and then I went and lived in Scotland for a bit, and then I came back, and, but I was a movement teacher through all that time, so then wow. I was just like, I want to expand my scope of practice, and specifically public health, um, so I became a physio, awesome. and then, um, yeah, and then through that process, I started, like, I had a, a placement at the children's hospital, um, working almost specifically with torticollis, and I was like, ooh, why not do both, and then I found somebody so I could do my last placement with um who does breastfeeding and so she does like a mix of like breastfeeding support like helping with torticollis and stuff but we see like the really little cases (laughs) and the young ones um and uh yeah as well as pelvic health and women's health in general so it's been um a really great experience and then she hired me back in january
0: that is so cool i love working with babies and kind of that pelvic health side as well. But I really have never heard of PTs who do a lot with breastfeeding issues. Um, So I'm so excited to talk more about it. Will you, I guess, tell us what are the main things women come in complaining of when they're having breastfeeding issues or kind of the main things that you treat in terms of breastfeeding issues?
1: For sure. So we have a few different ways that people come to us. Um, the most common way is through lactation physicians. So they're actually MDs who focus on lactation. And I learned that Calgary has this weird bubble of people. That's
2: not really a thing in the US.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, they get referred to them like very early on usually. And so the docs like have a lot of these tools and depending on which doctor it is. Um, but then once they notice that there's a tight neck or a turn preference, they usually send them over to us um we also treat mastitis so breast inflammation and so that's sometimes how people will find us if they just google us okay um but again it's usually the lactation physicians that send them our way um there's some family doctors that send people to us as well but it's mostly lactation physicians yeah um, so we have a really cool little network here um so yeah so us, i mean at the at the stage though, we see them I have now seen like a few sternocleidomastoid tumors of infancy. Mm. Um, But the doc, like again, it's usually the docs that pick them up. Um, And um, so that's been really interesting because, like, even at the children's hospital, I never actually saw that.
0: Yeah, Um, that's not as common. So, for anyone who doesn't know, will you just briefly explain what torticollis is?
1: Yeah, so torticollis is um where there's like one muscle generally in the neck that is tight and so then a baby will present with just a tilt or a turn or both (laughs) um and then it can also lead to a flat spot which is called plagiocephaly or brachycephaly depending on I mean if it's with torticollis then it's usually plagiocephaly but right yeah, it's a flat spot on one side
0: (laughs) when I think that is um that's definitely a common thing I see with babies, but I don't know that it's a common thing that's associated with breastfeeding or that like is, has that connection with breastfeeding that people understand plays a role in breastfeeding, I guess. So can you kind of explain how that is connected?
1: Yeah. So sometimes what happens is if they have a term preference um, or torticollis, then they'll um, and I'd like to actually differentiate between a turn preference and torticollis okay. because oftentimes when I see them as young as they are, they don't actually have like a tight muscle yet. Like they have yeah. full range. There's no real concern. And so what I teach is parents how to maintain that range
0: totally. um,
1: and like might do a little bit of a massage if it like feels like a, just a little tighter, but they still have the full range. So,
0: right. And that's a huge thing just to point out really quickly, slightly off topic, but that that is often how it starts right a kind of a turn preference that turns into maybe more of a actual torticollis so i always love to emphasize kind of early intervention early action because it's so much easier just to make those little tweaks to prevent (laughs) it from getting worse so that's always something i want to point out when (laughs)
1: Yeah, so much easier. And like, sometimes we think it just comes from like how they were positioned in the womb, like if they were stuck in one hip. Right. Um, and then like, sometimes they'll have tightness right from day one, but often that develops over time. Right. Um, and sometimes they'll have a flat spot just from being in the womb or like if there's twins and they're squished. You know? <laughs> um, so then we can, yeah, again, early, early prevention.
2: Yeah, the intervention is
1: the best. Um, and so it's one of those things. So with breastfeeding and um, with that term preference, they can prefer one breast over the other because they just don't like, like, especially if you're just doing cross cradle or something like that, then um, they'll go to the one side less. Um, and sometimes how it'll end up being taught, like with the lactation consultants is they'll be like, okay, we'll do cross cradle one side and football on the other side. But then so they're always only turning like the one direction. However
2: Ah.
1: um, one of the issues with that is then like like their head might always be on your arm in the same position so then that's another way you can develop a flat spot. And then they're also just never getting exposed to it so then it can still contribute. So we want to be able to actually change it and not just um, adapt to it. Yeah.
0: So is that um, sometimes when they're holding the baby in a cradling position on one side and then the football position where they're more like on their belly in your arms on the other side, is that because the baby has a term preference and they're trying to accommodate that and help the baby still be able to breastfeed or is there another reason why they do that?
1: There can be a few different reasons sometimes. It's like, it can be based on the shape of mom's breast. Okay. Um, and sometimes it can just be like how baby, I mean, oftentimes what we we end up seeing, I'm, not related to turn preference necessarily but um because babies with high palates tend to and so they've often had a tongue tie as well they mm-hmm. tend to do better in football okay um just based on the positioning it gets the nipple right to the spot where the where the suck reflex is
2: gotcha. yeah okay
1: so there's there are definitely different reasons why people could be doing different positions depending on the breast but yeah that's the the common one but then like when I was at the children's hospital that was always a question we asked was like how are you breastfeeding and then be like okay well to help like as an intervention for torticollis then you can do cross cradle on the other side and football on the other side
2: right right Right,
1: so So yeah but the baby might be less likely to want to breastfeed so
0: (laughs) 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 trying to fix one problem and creating another
1: yeah it's tricky (laughs) yeah it is
0: yeah so then how do you treat that um I know we talked a little bit about it before but um in turn you you kind of do the regular I would say or typical torticollis type of intervention that I'm familiar with but then I know you also mentioned some more stuff with TMJ and different things like that that is not so common for PTs to to look at
1: yeah so this is where like we probably um both my boss and I joke a little bit that like we're quite more similar to OTs and that we look at the oral facial function and swallowing and stuff like that and that's something like we're we're trying to learn more and more about um because a lot of the patterns that we'll see is babies who like are gagging or choking um and they're just not getting that that swallowing pattern correctly okay. um and so there's some things we can do with that as far as like is just positioning wise so if mom has a has a high like high production rate and a fast flow, then, um, and even just depending on baby size, then getting baby in a position where they're more on top and mom is laid back can usually be really helpful. And then, um, and then, yeah, they can swallow easier, (laughs) Um, and just be able to handle it more, um, as well as help slow down mom's flow. Um,
0: so you're kind of looking at that sucks, swallow, breathe, reflex, and you're looking at, mom's flow and you're figuring out kind of the best way to accommodate both of those
1: yeah yeah so we use our skills within like pt of thinking about reflexes Mm -hmm. and positioning right and then even thinking of like okay well mom might have a wrist problem right so then also factoring in those kinds of things can be helpful yeah um and yeah and so and then for like tmj and things like that so a lot of times what we'll see because especially these babies who have had tongue ties like their, their muscular patterns are different. And so sometimes what we see is babies who have had the tongue tie. So their muscles um, kind of like under the jaw here uh-huh. can be underactive. Um, and so then their like tongue pattern, they just haven't really figured out yet. And because I think a lot of it, like we don't always think about, we think of our tongue like as this long thing, right? And the, it just attaches somewhere. right? But like it attaches all under here. So you can actually massage it underneath.
0: Huh. And then it becomes like functionally longer. Is that right?
1: Kind. Of, well, it's more like getting them, to, Well, because like you need like, to do a tongue tie clip to get them to be able to actually get their tongue out. But, um, but yeah, you can like help them get those patterns and be able to stick out their tongue. And there's just like little exercises like you would do for a human.
0: That's so cool. So we said kind of with the turn preference or torticollis, kind of one of the main things you might see is the preference for one breast over the other. And then for that type of issue, whether it's a tongue tie or that swallowing difficulty, that tongue difficulty, what's one of the main things that mom will notice that might like clue her into a problem with that?
1: The biggest one is breast pain. Okay. Or, or like pain with latch. That okay. doesn't like go away quickly. So sometimes how a tongue tie will manifest is like it'll be re- like a really painful latch at the beginning. Cause like they don't know how to use their tongue. So they just like, they learn how to chomp. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of like, so like a lot of people who stop early and if they don't have the education as far as like what a tongue tie is, then um, they'll stop breastfeeding. Cause they're like, this is just so painful. I don't want to continue. So that's where like a whole population of people where it's like, they wanted to breastfeed and wanted to continue, but just couldn't. Right. Um. So, like, having support for that is important. Um, And um, another thing you might see is, so just, like, like the chomping, which, again, could be painful, but some people might not seem that painful. So, sometimes what they'll do is, like, have a really narrow latch. Let's see if we put it that way. When you want to see a latch like this. Okay. And so, oftentimes, that'll be masseter. So... The big muscles like your tromping muscles or um sometimes the muscles like on the inside there which are called the pterygoids, and so mm-hmm. we can massage from the inside too so just depending on you know what patterns we're seeing like are they opening their jaw and then you know deviating so it's the same way we would treat tmj in an in adult <laughs> So cool. Yeah.
0: and so th- those are kind of a couple things that are going on with the baby that could be contributing to that pain yeah. And then in terms of the mom, I know you mentioned kind of um, like high production, fast flow as a factor for what's going on. And then um, is there also an issue when there's low production slash slow flow that can result in similar patterns?
1: Yes. So the, in both cases, we can see like the, that chomping action.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so then that's where we want to look at more things. So is it does it seem like that chomping and they're not getting satisfied? Um, And so they're like trying to actively like get it out. Mm -hmm. And also like some bottles encourage that action too, like those really fast flow bottles. And of course, like the bottles that are usually given at the hospital are really fast flow. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh. So to help like on the bottle side, Dr. Brown's with a preemie nipple is the best. (laughs) I don't know if you guys have them in the States, but they're over
0: there. Yeah, we do, we
1: do. Okay, yeah. Um, And, um, but then, so with the fast flow, usually what we see is that um, they're almost considered to have, like, a lazy suck, and so then they're they're chomping, but it's because they want to, like, they're just trying to stop the flow, Mm -hmm. and so... um, and so we'll also sometimes see like they'll pull off, they'll get frustrated. Um, and so yeah, everybody just thinks that they're lazy and won't do it, but it's because it's just fast flow.
2: There's <laughs> a
0: reason there.
1: Yeah.
0: Gotcha. And um, I know in the past we've talked about kind of how there can be differences with breastfeeding in the hospital and then how things like all of a sudden change at home. Like, what do you normally see with that or what could ladies look out for?
1: Yeah, oh, well, so there's so many factors with this for one thing like a lot of women don't realize if they have a c-section like the average time that milk comes in is like four or five days and so they can sometimes think that there's something wrong but it's just like just because of a c-section it just takes a little longer not in every case but it just can um and for some people like
0: for a vaginal delivery
1: um it's usually two about two days on average again some people are earlier some are another day or two um and so you have colostrum up until that point and so um which is still and so sometimes you can have like an angry hungry baby (laughs) and so that's where like the doctors watch the weight and things like that and they don't usually want it to go below like 10 percent and then you start giving formula which is actually okay like if that happens like babies do need to be fed but to know that like you can bottle feed a little bit and still breastfeed like the nipple confusion stuff is like it can happen, but it's actually super rare. And if you have like a, a um, a bottle that helps promote them to suck and things like that, then that helps. It's also sometimes nice. I know like some people like, you know, having um, where like dad can feed them once a day where mom can yeah. just take a break. Like yeah. That's not a bad thing.
0: <laughs> that's a huge point. I think, I think that's something thing that so many women worry about is that in kind of nipple confusion thing because of course they want their babies to be fed and happy, yeah. but they want to breastfeed as well. Um, so that's like such a nice encouragement and keeping in mind, right, the the Dr. Brown's preemie nipple or something like that, that will even help more to prevent something like nipple confusion.
1: Another one is Playtex platex It's another slow flow. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as like, so then when, once the classroom is done and the milk comes in, then all of a sudden you can get engorgement. And so there's, and that can be quite painful in itself. And especially if you're a first time mom and have never experienced it before, and even just breastfeeding in general, like give, you know, give yourself, a ch- it shouldn't be super painful, but it may feel different, right? It may be uncomfortable for a bit um but if there's like wounds or different things developing then like there's there's help that can be had yeah. you don't just have to suffer through it
2: yes um
1: so like see like lots of lactation consultants have these skills too like it doesn't have to be a pt we just try and like combine the our skills <laughs> oh
2: cool
1: um and but there's like a and i can send you a link to it but a just an online um a video of a massage on a breast where that's really helpful for engorgement. And we use the same thing for mastitis cases too. Oh
0: yeah. I'll, put, I'll um, post that in the show notes. So definitely send that to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, so even that can be just really, and it's something you can easily do on your own too.
0: Okay. And so um, you're saying that kind of maybe baby might be doing really well in the hospital. And then once that engorgement happens, you can start to see that chomping type of issue from, what we were talking about previously, like that fast flow or not really being able to manage the new speed. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then same thing, like, like, if it does end up being a low supply, then, um, I mean, like, usually people are followed pretty closely, um, for weight checks and things like that in those early days. Um, but yeah. And then there can be things that can be done to help like increase supply and things like that. Of course, I don't do that as a PT, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just a lot, of, a lot of times people don't know what is available to them, so.
0: Speaking about pain, what are your thoughts on nipple shields? I don't really know too much about them, but I see a lot of questions about them.
1: Yeah, so nipple shields can be super helpful for especially those chompy bites, Which <laughs> chompy sucks when the nipple damage is already there. Yeah. And so putting it on some people still have a, quite a bit of pain with the nipple shield. So that's where we want to look at like okay, can we help change what's going on with their with their latch and their suck and um and help that way. Some babies even have just like such a powerful suck that like the nipple almost still start to come through those little holes. Mm-hmm. And that's still not great. And it can also impact supply. So um, it's not something you necessarily want to use for a, a long term, or there should be a plan as far as weaning off of it. Okay. Because um, there's just less of that direct nipple um, to mouth stimulation, and so then that that's what can affect supply.
0: Gotcha. So rather than kind of just using it as a fix and then continuing to use it for the rest of breastfeeding, use it while your nipples heal. Is that right? And then. Yeah. And then be trying to reach out to somebody who can maybe help figure out why you were having all of that pain in the first place and and help plan for moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. Okay. Sense. Yeah. Cool. Uh, What else do I have for you? So we talked about things going on with the baby, suck pattern Um, You briefly mentioned tongue ties. Is there anything more with tongue ties that you want to, I guess, talk to everyone about?
1: Um, I will mention that so oftentimes when tongue ties get clipped in the hospital is there just the anterior tongue tie um, which just means that like you can actually see the tie up to like say part way up to the tip of the tongue and it's it's just very visible and an easy one to clip mm-hmm. but a lot of babies will also have a posterior tongue tie so sometimes it needs to be reclipped and by or like have a dentist look at it um just cause it, yeah, it's a, a bit more difficult. Some doctors will still clip it, but it's just trickier. So if there's still like the pain with latch, they just don't seem to be getting that tongue function. Um, getting a reassessment can be really, really helpful and having somebody who looks at both function and what's going on with the, um, like what they can see. And if there's like a band still back there. Gotcha. Um, there can also be other, so like lip ties can play a role. Um, as well as a thing called a buckle tie, so it's like in your cheeks. Um, and, and so all of those things, it's more like a sealing like so like babies who have a lot of blisters and stuff on their lips sometimes those are the things that are affecting them.
0: Okay, okay, so even if you feel like you kind of had that taken care of, quote unquote, don't get frustrated if you're still having issues keep keep looking because there still might be something going on.
1: could okay. be or you know, having like. Yeah, something to look at, because like some babies, just based on their patterns, they will almost like, these muscles will act as though there's a tongue tie, so they're not getting that tongue out, things like that. Or even just like, they might have a recessed chin. Um, And so then just sometimes some positioning things can help um, with that. So it might not be a tongue tie, but um, it still might act like one. (laughs)
0: Interesting. So complicated. (laughs) There's so many things. (laughs) Uh, let's see so and then specific to mom we kind of talks about flow rates and supply and things like that and then okay. you just mentioned positioning talk to everyone about kind of what they can be looking out for with positioning
1: yeah so our biggest cue is the most common one is think like nose to nipple um tongue to or sorry <laughs> nose to nipple chin to breast So a lot of times people will try and get like just their nipple right onto the lips. And with some babies that works totally fine and they just latch. So like we wouldn't try and mess with it if it's fine.
2: Um,
1: but for some babies, especially if they have a high palate and have had a tongue tie, like they really need that cueing or a recessed chin where they got to get that chin up. So I always like to think, like talk with Brent, cause sometimes like a baby will come onto the breast and they'll be down like this. And I'm like, think of yourself trying to drink a glass of water. You want to lift your chin up. Right. so it just helps them get that airway um and you know swallowing pattern um so nose to nipple chin to breast and tummy to tummy so if we can get them in a position where they're like where their head can be kind of in line with the rest of their body Mm -hmm. then that can be really helpful to have everything just kind of working symmetrically Mm -hmm. whereas like with torticollis they may try and do this right so um yeah, trying, trying those positions. So if you're in cross cradle or in football, any of those things, having their tummy on you um, in any of those positions just gets them in a place where they can actually like be face onto the breast.
0: Exactly. Gotcha. So is the baby almost like positioned on its side? Like they're almost laying on their side?
1: If they're in f- – yes, actually, in most cases they are. Okay. I actually have a baby I can show.
0: Yes, show us. <laughs>
1: My friend thinks this baby is so creepy. Okay, so, yeah, baby, um, so you <laughs> his name is Doug. <laughs> so it, baby's hands often get in the way. So if we can, without being like too rough or anything, we try and get them on either side of the breast. If I can show this a little bit better.
2: Okay, yeah. either
1: side of the breast, and then you can't really see from here, but nose to nipple, chin to breast. So then their head they will like extend back a little bit and you don't want to just like have your hand right on the back of their head. Cause then they can get really frustrated cause they don't have move to room, move room to move backwards. Gotcha. Um, and then some nice pressure on their shoulder blades is really good. And a lot of people get worried because they're like, but my baby's only a couple days old. <laughs> it's like, actually they're, they're pretty good at feeding <laughs> when they have the, when they have the opportunities. So then they're there. And so like, yeah, they're kind of on their side
0: Got it or football. Yeah. Yeah,
1: They're also on their side and, but you set yourself up with pillows. Like you don't have to just, I mean, this is a doll, so it's a lot easier, but with football, you really want to like have them quite far back. Like they're wrapping around you.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And tell me again, what's the, what's the thought process with that positioning? Why is that helpful?
1: For football? um, It can, it can be helpful with flow sometimes, um, but it's more so if they have a high palate. So what wow. happens is their like, mouth is kind of like this, this might be your nipple. Um, and so, by, so if they're, so this is their mouth, and so then their nose is up here, nipples lined up with their nose, they get their chin into the breast, mm-hmm. and then they get to go backwards and up and over. So then if they have a high palate, so our, the, our suck reflex is like right here behind the gum line. Okay. So then the nipple goes right there gotcha. and then that gets their suck pattern going a lot better
0: uh, okay for those of you who are just listening right now by the way i'll put these videos up on um, my instagram or facebook so check those out if you're if you're curious about what this looks like um but that was really helpful that's not what i was picturing when you said football hold. so that's really good i'm glad you showed me <laughs> 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 perfect and then um I think mastitis was the only other thing we haven't really touched on. Um, just briefly, what is mastitis, first of all? Okay,
1: so that's a very good question, because a lot of times mastitis is considered when there's an infection, okay. um, and so then you would need antibiotics and things like that. Um, however, most of like the original research on mastitis was from the dairy industry, and um, but humans are not cows, and we aren't out in the field all day <laughs> so it's um I think some of the re- it ends up being about like 15 percent-ish of mass of like cases of mastitis in humans are actually caused by an infection oh,
2: that's pretty um, cool. so
1: the things you want to look out for if it is that level is um, um fever chills aches and pains those kinds of things okay um getting checked for that and then and like especially like a lot of swelling and redness and things like that you can have the swelling and redness anyways, but the cases that I've seen were like, cause as a, as a physio, I can still treat the, the effects of the mastitis, even if it isn't an infection. Right. Um, so just to help give some of that pain relief. So we do like a really gentle massage um, and a little bit of hand expression to help get that milk flowing. Cause what mastitis is usually caused by is milk staying in the breast for too long.
2: Okay.
1: And so what can happen is, so if it's not an infection, is that, um, so like our, our milk ducts, and um, there's like the cells around. And so they, um, when we're engorged and have like the milk has been there for a little too long. So often we'll see this a lot around like time changes, holidays, cause like family's around and you might not be feeding as frequently. Huh. Um, and like even just that one hour can make a big difference. And so like those cells like separate just a tiny bit and then the milk can get out into the other tissues and, um, and cause inflammation. Got it. Yeah. And so then that's kind of how you get a blocked duct is that the swelling around it then kind of closes those areas. And so then the milk is like trapped in that area and it just makes it even worse. So by getting, um, we try to reduce the swelling by getting the massage like to the lymph nodes. Um, and then and then hand expression. So a big thing that I'll see is people will be like, oh, I need to massage if I have mastitis or a blocked duct and they massage purely towards the nipple. And I often see like a lot of bruising and stuff like that. So if you're bruising, you're massaging way too hard.
0: And so you're saying you um, sometimes massage the milk towards the lymph nodes, which is actually away from the nipple and kind of towards that armpit area um, to help clear that out of that area, which is where it's also clogged up, right?
1: Yeah, and because that milk's not going to get out um, through those ducts because it's out in the other tissue, right? So it's we have to get it into our waste removal system.
2: Got you.
0: That is and a then good
1: point. yeah, and so then we like go back and forth between um, massaging there, so like three to five minutes or so, and then um, a few rounds of hand expression, um, and you can get it, like
0: which is towards the nipple.
1: Yeah. Okay. But even then, like. You still want to keep it quite gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay, cool. So um,
0: we kind of already talked about what you do for PT. A little bit of massage. Is there anything else in PT you do for mastitis?
1: Um, and then it's just you know a lot of the usual kind of um, like pain and inflammation advice. So like people can use um, what we would usually recommend is like a hot shower or. I'm using heat before a feed or before you do the massage. Okay. Um, so that can just kind of help open everything up. But then afterwards you can use um, cold for um, pain control. Got it. It's not going to, you know, like get rid of it, but it can help with the pain.
0: Okay. And um, can doing a really consistent routine, I guess, maintaining a really consistent routine with either breastfeeding or pumping, is that a way to try to prevent mastitis?
1: Yes, so the biggest thing you wanna, is so like nipple wounds, making sure that they're um, being taken care of. <laughs> Cause that's how most cases of infection are actually gonna get in is when they have cracked or um, like actual wounds on the nipple. Okay. Um, otherwise a lot of it's, yeah, the scheduling. So some women are just prone to mastitis unfortunately and can get it a couple of times um, and it can be really frustrating. And we don't really know why that is yet but the main thing that we can see is that it might be a storage problem um so they need like very specific timing um so you know it might be every three hours might be ever you know making sure that that happens sometimes it'll be like my husband was trying to be really helpful and like let me sleep that extra hour Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: that like set off the cascade so you know being community especially if you know you're somebody who is um uh, like if you experience engorgement and stuff like that quite frequently like making sure that you tell people to be like no like actually wake me up that's going to be more helpful
2: <laughs> <Got you.
1: laughs> uh, so sometimes it's more of the um you know, we almost think of it as uh you know like we we help prescribe like loading right as as pts like exercises yeah. so you know how many times you do that so we can also kind of thinking think of that in terms of feeding Um, So how much is it, are you being exposed to it? And, you know, we think about that with wounds too. So if it's going to be better for you to pump once and feed once rather than try and feed every single time, if you have wounds, then, um, then we might want to consider those things. Um, And then like, and work closely with the doctors so that we know the baby's weight is, um, is going well.
0: Okay. Is there a way to know whether you're that person who should be doing it every three hours versus Four hours versus something different
1: um I think engorgement is a is it the key sign because engorgement can also feel like that like it can still also feel quite hot and like there can be redness and things like that so okay. if that's happening quite not just like the feeling of fullness which most women get um it's the um yeah, and and it can be hard because like sometimes some babies only want to eat every four to five hours, mm-hmm. right? So then you might need to add in a pump session in between. Um, but then also like as we're working with somebody can be really helpful. With, like in this case, generally more the lactation consultant than a PT. Um, but just making because if you pump more, then you can actually end up stimulate more, stimulating more milk. So yeah. um, usually over time, the body just regulates it to what your body needs. Um, okay. So most cases of like block ducts and mastitis are going to be early on. Okay. Um, Those like first six, six to eight weeks when we're still regulating and baby's still figuring things out. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: And you kind of get into a routine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about um, in the past kind of making sure that you're addressing like the root cause of the mastitis versus the symptoms that result as a, as a result of mastitis. So is that really the, the basis of that, like that um, routine and keeping an eye on what's going on in terms of engorgement and your schedule and all of that, is that pretty much covered or is there more to it than that?
1: Then the other side is baby. So because if baby is causing, or like if they're not draining the breast, um, those are like, you might still be feeding every three hours but they're not actually draining it. So that's again, what is going on there what's going on with baby's latch. And that's all the stuff we talked about before. So these things can have an interplay.
0: Gotcha, so you might not necessarily be noticing some of those things, those symptoms that we talked about before, but if you're noticing mastitis, it still could be a sign that there's something going on with baby and and their latch and their stuff. Yeah. Super interesting.
1: Yeah, it's all interrelated.
0: (laughs) I love it, I love it. Is there anything else that you feel like moms need to know more about with breastfeeding?
1: oh um the really one is um finding a position that's comfortable for you mm-hmm. that you can relax in and like use as many pillows as you need to um i've just seen a lot of women come and they're like hunched over trying to get their breast in baby's mouth mm-hmm. and then they're just wincing in pain and i'm like how about we just move back and like especially currently like with covid and stuff like our uh, we don't have like our big comfy chair in the room anymore, um, but I'm like, when you get home, like just see if you can get comfortable. And so then I've had patients be like, oh, like that helped a lot. I didn't realize like how stressed I was about doing this, or even just like how upright they'll be. I'll be like, just leaning back can, you know, make a really big difference.
2: That's huge.
0: That's so good to know.
1: Yeah. So making sure you can find some relaxation, and that also like helps the milk flow, helps the letdown, helps um and it can also help baby relax too because then you're not just like stressing out about it and they can like you know like our bodies tense up when we're stressed and then theirs tense up. <laughs> totally yeah yeah awesome so i think that's well, I- a really big one and just knowing that like there is help out there so even if you don't have a physio in your area that does this kind of work um um but just knowing that like they you know you could go to somebody like you who like already does torticollis right and so even just like knowing that like okay well you can massage up here too (laughs) right like it's a yes now i know so
0: much i can help
2: so
1: (laughs) yeah um yeah so lactation consultants um yeah just there can be or an o a lot of ot's are trained in this sort of thing um i'm not a lot of them i think are in hospitals um, but sometimes that can be like another route because they they look at a lot of oral stuff cool. um, or i don't know about the speech language pathologists they may to um but probably the main like having a a lactation consultant on your team i think can be really helpful
0: okay and i yeah. think that's a good point to bring up as well like there are so many different types of people who can help you with this same issue so if you're not finding kind of all of the solutions that you're wanting with one person that you're working with, I always love to encourage just like, keep reaching out to people, find your team, find your tribe, because, you know, this is kind of a new area, I would say, of definitely of PT, but all of these things, us as practitioners are, you know, learning more and more every year. So even if you're with somebody who, might not know as much at the time, keep looking and, and find that person because there are solutions out there. Yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah, and then for the physios or massage therapists or other people who work in this area and are interested in learning more, um, my employer actually does courses for physiotherapists, so you don't, and her courses do count towards um, becoming a lactation consultant because she is one.
2: Oh.
1: Yeah, so. Um, and so she does courses for Herman and Wallace, um, as well as in Canada for Pelvic Health Solutions and Neurosante. Um, there might even be another one coming out soon. Um, and to like, if you're interested in more, like she's also working on developing like an online course for it too. So, awesome. um, so you to travel it can be helpful, like having some in in person stuff. But a lot of these skills are things that like kind of already do. Yes. Right. And so it's just like adding that little bit more. Um, yeah, so our website is Vida, so like V-I-D-A, health, um, ca. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, and, um, and whatever information you want to share about, the, about your employer and the courses and things like that she offers, I can post that as well. Um, and if anyone wants to reach out to you with questions, I guess, number one, is that okay? And number two, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, so my email is Christine at VitaHealth.ca. So that's probably a good way. Um, I'm also on Facebook as Christine McSween. Cool. Um, I'm findable. And I'm on Instagram as Physio4Creatives. Um, That is mostly my art account, but you can also ask me questions there.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I loved talking about all this stuff. I find it super fascinating and, and so important, I think, to get more awareness out there. Um, So I really, really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you so much for your interest and having me on.
0: Thanks for listening in to another episode of mom and me podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for more information on our guest and any links that were mentioned. Also find me on Facebook or Instagram at mom and me PT, and please reach out with any questions.